The following message is brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church and Pastor Joshua Ermler. Colossians chapter number 2, verses 6 and 7. The Bible says, As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord. How did we receive him? By grace, through faith. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith as ye have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. This morning, pastor is going to bring a message entitled, New Covenant Maturity. It's hard to believe, but this is now the last sermon in our series, The New Covenant. And over the last couple of months, we've been studying this idea of the New Covenant. What is it? Uh, In juxtaposed to the Old Covenant. And a lot of people get confused about the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, uh, the New Covenant uh, that we find predominantly in the New Testament. And because of their confusion, it causes them to misinterpret major aspects of the Word of God. And so in in more of a seminary-style, intellectual approach to Bible teaching, we've been trying to help Ambassador really understand what the Old Covenant is as opposed to the New Covenant. Uh, How does it practically uh, impact our lives on a daily basis? What is it? And so today we're going to put a bow on this series, if if I can, and we're going to talk on this subject of new covenant maturity. Because here's the fear that a lot of people have as we move through a series like this. When I'm teaching and we go to the Word of God and say now that in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, we are no longer to be driven by laws. We're no longer to be uh, led by rules. But rather, under the New Covenant, we have something better than rules and commandments and laws. We have something greater. We have the Holy Spirit of Christ that now dwells within us that teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly love, lust and live righteously and soberly in this present world. And so for the average Christian, there's this fear that if we don't focus and fixate and emphasize all the commands and rules, then we'll have a whole generation of Christians that just start running amok. And so I want to take today and really explain from the Word of God how the Spirit of God is better at developing spiritual maturity than rules, commands, and laws. Not only is it what God's given us, but it's actually better. It is actually more effective. And from a purely pragmatic perspective, It's better to have this new covenant gift called the Holy Spirit living his life through us than these exterior commands, these exterior rules, and these exterior laws. And so that's what we're going to unpack a little bit today as we really speak into this subject of new covenant maturity. So as a theme this morning to kind of get us started, I want to take a moment to focus on this idea. Under the new covenant, within the context of the new covenant, Jesus Christ and his spirit literally changed the way we change. This is our theme. This is the big idea for this message. When the laws of Moses begin to subside... When Jesus Christ came on the scene and went to the cross, he ushered in a new dispensation. It was this new covenant of grace. 
This grace came with the Spirit of Christ. And not only did it empower, not only did it equip, but it is actually better at creating spiritual, functional, practical maturity than laws, rules, and commands. So Jesus literally changed the way we go about changing. In the Old Testament, they looked to the commandments, they looked to the laws, they looked to the rules, they'd fixate and focus and emphasize them, and, and that's what they would be drawn to in order to grow what they would call in kind of a certain level of maturity. We have something better now. We have the Spirit of Christ living in our hearts that leads, that guides, and that directs. And so we're going to unpack this whole idea here today. For many people, they erroneously believe that if we don't mandate the law specifically to Christians, believers will everywhere begin to run amok, uh, sin will grow more rampant within congregations, so they believe, therefore, that the law, that the commands, that the rules must continually be focused on, must be fixated with, must be emphasized, because it is that that develops spiritual maturity, and that's one of the major beliefs in churches today. So that's why we're going to emphasize it, and that's where we're going to focus people's attention on it, and that's why we're going to get people to fixate on it, because that is ultimately what brings spiritual maturity. And what we're going to see in the New Covenant is actually that's not the case at all. That fixating and focusing and emphasizing rules, laws, and commands doesn't actually create the spiritual functional maturity as well as something better, something that Christ delivered. Now, I'm going to get into an illustration to illustrate this. But Colossians chapter number 2, verse 6 says this. As ye therefore receive Christ Jesus the Lord. How did we receive Jesus Christ the Lord? By grace through what? Faith. We understand that we get saved. We experience Christ by grace. It's a free gift of grace that he gives to us. And how do we get it? Through our works through our endeavors, through trying harder. No, we get this gift of grace as we appropriate faith. We simply believe that what God says is true. We claim his promises by faith. And in that transaction, we receive the grace of salvation. Now, here's what this verse is saying. As ye therefore receive Christ, the same way you receive Christ in salvation, notice what it says, so walk ye therein. How do we walk along in the spiritual realm? How do we move forward in the spiritual realm? The same way we got into it. The same way we got into this journey called the Christian life is the same way we continue in the Christian life. It's by His grace. The grace of the Spirit doing a work in us that we don't deserve. How do we experience that functionally and practically? When we believe it by faith. When we accept the promise that it is what it claims to be, when we express faith, we experience the grace of maturity by His Spirit. As ye therefore receive Christ, so walk ye therein. But a lot of people get nervous about this. Well, Pastor, if we we don't get people to focus on these commands, if we don't get Christians to focus on all these rules... If we don't get them to fixate on on all these laws, I mean, how will anybody mature spiritually? Now, I'll get into an illustration, but let me just lay a theological foundation real quick and say, 
<laughs> some of the Christians in the Old Testament that predated the law lived very noble, honorable, God-honoring lives. I mean, we could talk about people, whether it be, uh, we would talk about Joseph before the law. Before the law was ever given, Joseph was able to, ma- he was able to express morality before the law. Uh, we could talk about people like Job. Before the law was ever given, he expressed functional morality. We could talk about people like Noah. We could talk about people like Abraham. Before the law was ever given, before these commands were ever thrown out there, before any of this, functionally and biblically, there were people who were living functional, expressive morality in their lives. And so to have this idea, well, you, you can't grow spiritually if you don't have these rules, if you don't have these laws, and you don't have these commands, doesn't even find logical expression within the pages of Scripture. There were many Christ-honoring, uh, I would say God-honoring uh, Christians, what we would call believers even in the Old Testament, in this way. So let me give you an illustration that I hope will unpack this, and then we're going to just move through a whole lot of Scripture to help us understand this, all right? But let me start with an illustration. Um, All over the world, there are major metropolitan areas, and and I'm not just talking about in America, but I'm talking globally here for a moment, uh, that are really struggling with their vehicle traffic. I'll show you a couple of pictures. Um, They're literally all over the world. This is a 50-lane highway. Uh, uh, Some of these traffic laws... Um, there was one tra- traffic jam. It lasted for 12 days. Traffic laws for... T- how would you like to have been stuck in traffic for 12 days? And so these are some of the traffic laws that are you know, out there, traffic jams that are existing in the world in which li- we live. In fact, there are areas in South America where traffic laws exist in theory. Maybe some of you have been to some of these places, but in reality are practically non-existent. So they have the same traffic laws that you and I have uh, here in America, uh, but because of people's humanity, nobody actually obeys them, all right? They just, everybody kind of does their own things, and it just gets absolutely crazy out there. Now, what if for a moment, let's say for a moment that some of these governments decided, you know, in these kind of third world countries, they've tried everything. They've tried you know, coming down on these traffic laws. They've tried emphasizing them more. They've tried pushing them more. They've tried giving more consequences and penalties when people aren't obeying these traffic laws. And and no matter what they do, and you can go to places like Argentina and South America, and traffic laws are, traffic is just horrendous because the humanity of people, they just don't obey the laws. No matter what they do, it just, it just keeps on happening. So what ifs, hypothetically, what if the government, let's say down in, a government down in South America, what if they said, you know what, here's what we're going to do. We have tried everything in the world. We have, we have used every legal mechanism at our disposal to try to get people to obey these traffic laws. We've tried everything. We've tried giving more traffic violations. We've tried putting up more signs. We've tried getting people to focus on the laws more. We've passed out booklets. We've done training. We've done everything we possibly can to try to get people to fixate and focus and understand these laws that exist, but to absolute no avail. They just don't work. And so what if they decide, hey, there's now new technology out. Some of you are familiar with this. This is absolutely true. Uh, the new technology that is now out is called the Google Car. How many of you are familiar? Have you heard of Google Car? All right. Some of you may or may not be familiar with. So let me, let me talk about the Google Car for just a minute because it will play into this illustration. 
Uh, the Google car is the first self-driving automated vehicle, and now they've got tens of thousands of hours on the highway. This is not a prototype. This is a real thing now. Uh, Google now has a car that absolutely, it drives itself. It has thousands of hours. It's been, it's been driving all over the place now as they've been kind of beta testing this car that drives itself. I'm in, for, in fact, for the illustration, let's do this. Do we have that video? Let's cue that up. It'll give you a little bit more of an insight, and then I'll keep diving in to show you how this applies here to what we're talking about this morning. You know, the first drive on public roads is something that we've been thinking about, and every moment has been building towards putting these cars on the roads where we can start learning even more from them. When you look at the car that came out around Christmas was the first vehicle that had kind of everything integrated and was kind of our first push through our manufacturing line. We've now been able to take that, do some reliability testing with it, and to make sure that everything really hangs together the way it's supposed to before we get them out onto, onto the roads. We've made the car hot, we've made the car cold, we've done durability testing, we drive it through a reliability bump track Getting these cars out into the public and allowing people to react to them, allowing us to see them out there, I think that's a huge deal. And, and most importantly, it's, it's the necessary step to getting them to drive themselves. When we think about safety, when we think about giving people mobility, and then when you start to think longer term about the impact on cities and the ability to reclaim space and to reduce congestion and free up parking, this is something where we can have a huge impact. It's exciting to see the arc of this project as it's moved to something that's starting to be realized and then, you know, the next step where we get to start to see people using it and really, that'll be just fantastic. They're now starting to take this technology and they can take the Google self-driving technology, they can place it on any vehicle and make your vehicle drive on its own. And they're beta testing it literally all over the country right now. Uh, this is kind of a big thing that's been going on over the last six to nine months, these cars that are now driving themselves. So Mercedes came out with their prototype, and so this is a little bit of an upgrade if, you, if you're more into the upper class type thing. Uh, that might be your car of the future, your self-driving uh, Mercedes-Benz. But you say, what, what's the point of all this? Let's, suppo let's suppose hypothetically that in one of these countries where they are just struggling with these traffic laws, nobody's following any of the rules, nobody is obeying the laws, no matter how hard they try to come down on people, nothing seems to be working. What if the government says, okay, here's what we're going to do. Practically, pragmatically, here, here's our solution. We are now doing away with all traffic laws. If you'll simply yield to a Google car. That is to say, if you'll simply get into a Google car for you, there is now no more rules, there is no more laws for you. We're going to give you something better. We are going to give you a Google vehicle. Now, as long as you're willing to surrender to that Google vehicle and you're allowing it to drive, uh, these vehicles have never been in an accident they are perfectly timed to register with other vehicles. And here's what I'm trying to tell you is this, that in much the same way as way of illustration, no illustration is perfect, but in much the same way, this is somewhat of what God did under the new covenant, under the old covenant. Under the old covenant, there were traffic laws. There were rules. There were commands. There, do this and don't do that. Go here. Go, don't go there. And God says, I'm now going to give you something better within you. I'm going to give you the Holy Spirit because the rules were weak. 
The laws were weak because of your flesh, is what the New Testament tells us. But now we're going to give you something better. We're going to give you the Spirit of God that's going to drive you. And when the Spirit of God is in control, there is no accidents. When the Spirit of God is in control, everything moves forward. When the Spirit of God is in control, there's no congestion because it's, there's this unity that exists when the Spirit of God is ultimately and completely in control. Now, the mistake you could make, the only mistake you could make in one of these Google vehicles is to override the system and not yield to it. So if all of a sudden you're banging into other cars in one of these Google vehicles and you got pulled over, you wouldn't get pulled over and say, hey, look, you made a mistake. You started banging into cars. You started wrecking into cars. You know what you, know what you would get told? You know what the mistake you would have made? Not banging into cars. The mistake you would have been, made was not yielding to the system. Now, in the Holy Spirit, there's, that expresses itself a lot of ways. When we don't yield to the Spirit of God, that manifests itself in a whole lot of different arenas, in a whole lot of different ways. But at its core, there's only one mistake you can make under the new covenant. And that is not being surrendered. It expresses itself in a thousand different ways. But that, at its core, is the only mistake a new covenant believer makes is by trying to override the system of the Holy Spirit of God. So whether you're going 1,000 miles an hour, or crashing into this field, crashing into that vehicle, running into walls, the mistake you would have made is why are you overriding the system? Why are you not yielding to what this car wants to do? And so what I'm trying to help us understand is this simply this, that this new covenant framework is a better framework for spiritual maturity. The reason that traffic laws don't really work in South America, it's not the car's fault. It's people's fault. And so God gave us something better. He gives us the spirit of God that wants to drive our lives, that wants to control as we yield here, there to his will for our lives. Hebrews chapter number 7, verse 19 says this. The law... The law made nothing perfect. Go back to our illustration. No traffic laws make for perfect traffic, you know, driving in a world. Why? Because it's dependent upon flawed humanity. Laws make nothing perfect, which leads us here to our first thought this morning, and that is simply this. The law is inadequate in developing spiritual maturity. Get this. The law is inadequate in developing spiritual maturity. Just focusing on the rules and fixating on the laws and, and trying to emphasize the different commands, it is inadequate in developing spiritual maturity in the life of a believer. It does not have the capacity to do what it commands you to do. It, it can't empower you to do it. It's, in, it's inadequate to do it. In fact, I'll even take it a step further. You'll see this in Romans chapter number 7 in just a moment. In fact, just focusing on the laws and the commands and the rules can actually make it harder for believers to grow over time. And I want to say that a second time. Just focusing on laws, rules, and commands actually make it harder for believers to grow over time. You say, where do you see that? Paul mentions this on several occasions. Let's go to one. 
Romans chapter number 7, verse 5, he says this. For when we were in the flesh, notice this. This is, we're going to have to unpack this. The motions of sin, this is the phrase I want you to focus on. The motions, the expressions of sin, notice this, which were by the law. The motions of sin were by the law. Literally, we could say sin was brought on, the sinful passions brought on by the law, sinful passions aroused by the law, we could say, the motion of sin which were by the law. These, these sins, these sinful passions were literally, they're aroused by the law. Those of you with kids, you understand this. Isn't it crazy the moment you tell your child when they were two or three years old not to do something, what was the first thing they start prone to do? It's like they were ignoring it, and then the moment you said, don't, that, oh, what? It's, in, it's human nature, isn't it? The moment we're told, hey, don't do this, don't, all of a sudden there's something that begins to, to draw us toward the very thing that we've been told not to. Why? Because the motions of sin are aroused, literally. They're stirred up by the law. Paul mentions this on several occasions where he talks about the commands and the law literally stirs up. It arouses these sinful passions within him. Just focusing on the law can actually make it harder for believers to grow spiritually over time. Romans chapter number 8 verse 3 says this, for what the law could not do. Why is the law weak? Why can't the law mature believers? Why can't it, con- why can't it develop believers? Why? Because it's weak through our flesh. Our flesh is weak, therefore we can't do the law. That's, that's why there are so many, there's so much traffic jams and congestion at, in, in places. It's not like they're not getting enough laws. It's not like there's a, not enough penalties. What's happening is people's flesh are weak. Go back to our illustration for a moment. Imagine little old grandma, and she's got her Google vehicle. And she's, she's not bumping into any cars. She's not crashing into any walls. She's overriding the system, but she's not, she's not going too fast, and she's not going too slow. She's not overriding the system. She's, she's doing everything that all the other Google cars are doing she would still be making the one mistake there is to, mis- to make, and that is overriding the system. And this is what happens in a lot of churches. People are like, well, I'm not crashing into anything. I'm not making any mistakes. I'm not bumping into this person. I'm not bumping into that person. And yet they're making the one mistake that you can make in the spirit, and that is taking control. And that little old grandma who's driving in her Google vehicle overriding the system and she's not bumping into anything and she's not crashing anything, she's making the exact same mistake. The only mistake that the person who takes control of that Google vehicle and starts crashing into walls and crashing into pedestrians and crashing into vehicles and speeding down the highway, they're both making the same mistake. They're both taking control. It's just two sides of the same mistake. Two extreme expressions of the same root heart problem and we got people in church all the time and they're like well i'm not bumping into anybody i'm not messing anything up i'm not crashing into things i'm not ruining things but you're still making the same mistake 
that the person who is doing all those things, you've override, you're not yielding to the Spirit of God. You're not letting him have control. But I'm obeying the rules. And God, God's saying, that those are irrelevant now. I've given you something better. I've given you the very spirit of God. And we're going to get back to why that's so important in just a moment. You see, my friends, I'm, I think we'll throw this on the screen. But obsession with sin, whether obsessing with indulging in it, and this is what some people do. They obsess with indulging in their sins and they get overrun with temptation. So obsession with sin, whether obsessing with indulging it or get this, or obsessing with abstaining from sin, both of those arouse our desire to experience sin more frequently. You say, well, I'm obsessing with sin, but I'm obsessing with how to abstain from it. I'm obsessing on how to keep the laws. I'm I'm obsessing about how how to fulfill the law, and I'm here to say obsession with sin, whether obsessing with indulging in it or obsessing with abstaining from it, both arouse our desire to experience sin more frequently. Let's keep reading. Why? Because with sin in any way, obsession with sin in any way, steals the focus from Christ and hence our power for victory. Your power for victory and spiritual maturity is not found in your ability to abstain from sin. Your power for victory is found in looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith. That is, it's abiding in him and yielding to him and focusing on him and seeing him high and lifted up. That is your hope for spiritual maturity. The problem is obsessing with abstaining from sin causes you to lose focus of the only thing that can deliver you, and that is a look at Jesus. The goal is not to obsess with abstaining from sin and meeting some law, the goal is to obsess with Jesus, to look to him, the author and finisher of our faith. Obsession with sin steals that focus away from Christ. I think this is in your notes if you want to see it there. But to remain focused on avoiding sin, when we remain focused on avoiding sin, This does not fight carnality. I'm trying to avoid it. I'm trying to keep the laws. I'm trying to focus on what I'm supposed to do and what I'm not supposed to do. And this helps me fight carnality. This helps me do better. It doesn't help you fight carnality. It actually facilitates your carnality because it inevitably leads to self-absorption, not self-abandonment. As long as you're focused on avoiding sin, you're still part of the equation. It's self-absorption. It is only in self-abandonment, focusing on Jesus, the author and finisher of your faith, do we have the capacity to see functional, practical, spiritual maturity really take place. See, spirit-filled people don't have something that you don't have. The moment we accepted Christ as our Savior, we were all given this gift called the Holy Spirit of God. And we all have His perfection. If you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, you have in your possession the perfection of Jesus Christ. You say, well, how come that perfection isn't expressing itself through my life then? Because there are some people who have other things added to it, like pride, lust, 
and fear. You see, spirit-filled people don't have something you don't have. They have the Holy Spirit just like you. The difference is they just don't have anything else. And that's what makes them functionally different, practically different. All of us have the perfection of Christ upon us. All of us have the Spirit of Christ. When we're not seeing that expressed through our lives, it's because we've added something to it. Pride, lust, arrogance, fear, craving, wanting, desire. And those things then manifest themselves in a way that gets seen by many as unrighteousness. Some Christians are not yet externally expressing their internal perfection. Because there's so much other stuff taking up residence in their soul. But it's still there. The perfection, the spirit-filled nature of Christ, it's, it's there if you have Christ. But it gets crowded out because we allow the fear and the lust and the pride and the arrogance take, take over. Can I say this? The best way to get serious about your spiritual maturity is not to be preoccupied. I'm sorry. The best way to get serious about your spiritual maturity is to be preoccupied with a relationship with the Spirit of Christ, not with the rules of spiritual maturity. I got to do this, and I got to focus on this, and I got to focus on that, and focus on these things. Da, da, da. No, I'm, I'm telling you this. Long term, the key to spiritual maturity is to focus on Jesus. To focus on him. The best way to get serious about your spiritual maturity is to get preoccupied with Jesus. See, you say, why is this so important? Because even when you do succeed at dotting your I's and crossing your T's, when, even when you do succeed in your flesh of walking the walk and talking the talk, even when you are that person, to go back to the metaphor, who is driving their little Google car perfectly. You're not bumping into anybody. You're not crushing into anybody. You're not hitting any pedestrians. Yes, you've made a mistake. You've override the system, but you're not causing any harm. I'm going to say this. Even in that case, even when we feel like we're succeeding on some surface morality level, it still leaves us broken. Why? Because when we're doing it, we become arrogant. We become filled with pride. Yeah, we're doing all the right things, but we know it. And when somebody else isn't doing it, oh, that really just oh, frustrates us. But I'm not bumping into anybody. I'm not crashing into anybody. But in that moment, when you're taking control of that Google car, when you're overriding the spirit of Christ, I'm not making any mistakes. I'm not crashing into the walls. I, I'm doing exactly what people who are, who, in any other ways, I'm not breaking any rules. I'm just saying this, but your heart is beginning to get filled with arrogance. Your heart is beginning to get filled with pride. You start to develop an entitlement mentality. I'm doing everything right. I deserve better. I deserve more. And your heart begins to get corrupted. I I'm doing all the right things. How come they're getting blessed? How come they're getting more than I? And we get this entitlement mentality. We get a superiority complex. Well, if they could only do what I'm doing. You see, when you override the system, 
You say, but I'm not crashing into anything. I'm not running over any pedestrians. But you've still made the one mistake that's still corrupting your soul. And so you're driving around thinking like you're all that in a bag of chips because you're not hitting any pedestrians and you're not crashing into empty walls. And all the while, your soul is literally rotting from the inside out with its pride and with its arrogance and with its entitlement mentalities and with all of its, you know, expectations of what God owes you and your superiority complexes about how you're better than everybody else. And I'm telling you what, you don't even see it. And that is the danger of this thing. Because it destroys you from the inside out. On the surface, everything looks fine. You're not bumping into anybody. You're not crashing into any pedestrians. You're not running anybody over. But inside, your heart is rotting with pride, with arrogance, entitlement mentalities, superiority complexes that most people can't even see in themselves. And that is the danger of overriding the system. I'm following all the rules. I'm not driving too fast. I'm not driving too slow. I'm not bumping into walls. I'm not hitting anything. I'm doing everything just right. I'm obeying every rule. And God says, hey, listen, there's a reason I did away with those things. Because there were a lot of people who couldn't obey the rules and obey the laws and obey the commands, and they got racked down with guilt and burdened with shame. And always felt like they were insignificant and insufficient. And for those who couldn't do it, it brought shame. And and for those who could, it brought pride. There were no winners with the old covenant. Nobody won. Nobody succeeded. Some were able to succeed on the exterior. But nobody's heart survived. And so Jesus came along and said, I've got to do something totally different. I want to see Galatians chapter number 5 verse 18 says this, but if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. This brings us to our last point this morning, and that is simply this. The Spirit is better at developing spiritual maturity. Hebrews chapter number 7 says this, By so much was Jesus made a surety of a, notice this, a better testament or a better covenant. The author of Hebrews tells us, hey, this this new covenant, it's better. The spirit of Christ is better at developing spiritual maturity than these laws and these rules and these commands ever could. Because if you succeeded at them, You got arrogant and proud and you become an entitlement mentality and a superiority complex and you say, well, not me. It's just because you don't notice it. Most people are blind. When pride is there, you can't see your own pride. And when you got beaten down with it, you felt ashamed and guilty and horrible and ah, like you were nothing. And God says, I'm going to give you a better gift. I'm going to give you my spirit. See, teaching believers to focus on Jesus and emphasize his role in their everyday life, this is huge. As we practice the presence of Christ in our lives, it'll develop an ability to be aware, to hear, and to properly listen to the Holy Spirit's still, small voice in our everyday life. And that is the key to spiritual maturity in the 21st century. Not fixating on commands and rules and laws, That'll only crush. 
And when you're able to succeed, it'll only bring arrogance and pride and an entitlement mentality and superiority complex. Either way, when you're living in this framework, you lose. It's the Holy Spirit of God following his spirit. And I'm going to say this, you don't have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit always acts like Jesus acted. The Holy Spirit can't sin. The Holy Spirit can't get off course. The Spirit of Christ is better at living like Jesus than you are at living like Jesus. And that's the point of this thing. Under the old covenant, you can try, focus on this, fixate on this, emphasize this. You can try to climb that ladder of the law of Moses and do it perfectly. But I'm here to say this. It's the spirit of Christ when yielded to him always is perfect. The spirit of Christ can't do something in that way. The spirit of Christ is better. He's better. He's better. Now, in conclusion, you say, well, is there any place for the law? Let me just kind of say this. To the extent that the law helps us be aware of some failure because of our pride and our arrogance, because we're blind to something that we're not saying, and thus expose our desperate need for Jesus and causes us to look back to him quickly, it can be a value. But the moment it causes you to fixate on it and emphasize it to yourself and everybody around you and, you know, focus on it rather than causing it to break you and cause you to glance and focus back on Jesus, if it does that, praise God. But that's not how it's being used in most Christian environments. It's being used as a battering ram. Try harder! Do better! Come on! And that's not its purpose. And to the extent that it can crush your pride and cause you to look back to Jesus, there's value. It's just not healthy spiritually to focus fixate and emphasize rules in the long run. I'm not saying there's not a place where they need to be addressed in a spirit where where there is pride and where there is a stiff-necked, hardened heart. The law can crush that. But the reason to crush it is not to demoralize. It's to get them to realize that they need to see Jesus afresh and new and that he is their only hope. He is their help. And he is where the victory is at. That's why Hebrews 12 verse 2 says, look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. He is where it's at. So on a closing illustration here. In the natural world, there are different laws. Uh, many of us are familiar with the laws of gravity. How many are familiar here with the laws of gravity? This gentleman in the picture, he's experiencing the law of gravity. The, the law of gravity always pulls you down. It always humbles you. It always takes you. The, there's the law of gra- that's what the law of gravity does. It brings you low. The law of gravity cannot give you the ability to transcend, to overcome, 
and to be victorious. However, there is another law. It's called the law of thermodynamics. How many of you are familiar with this law, okay? The law of thermodynamics works on a very different operational field. While the law of gravity pulls you down, the law of thermodynamics works in such a way that allows you to soar above that which is down there. And while it's not a perfect illustration in much the same way, the law of Moses is that law of gravity. It crushes. It brings us low. And it's good at humbling. It's good at helping us realize that we need something more than what we can do in and of ourselves. But the law of gravity never will give you the ability to transcend. It never will give you the ability to rise above temptation. It will never give you the ability to be victorious. It'll never give you the ability to be that which you were destined to be by God's providence. It is the law of thermodynamics that causes you to soar, much like the law of the spirit, or what is referred to as the law of grace, that allows you to actually overcome temptation, that allows you to overcome sin, and not just in a surface way, but in a way where your heart doesn't become proud and arrogant, in a way that doesn't cause your heart to get an entitlement mentality and, and a superiority complex. The spirit of grace and the law of grace allows you to transcend in a holistic manner. Spiritual maturity, not just on the surface of what people are seeing, but in the heart of where it matters most. Because when it, it, it gives you the ability to soar, but without pride, you soar with humility. Yes, you're able to transcend temptation, but without becoming arrogant. You're able to be victorious in your Christian life, but not in a way that breeds an entitlement mentality or a superiority complex. Why? Because it is the law of grace that does a work not just on the exterior, but it can actually change your heart. The law of grace can change your identity how you see yourself. The law of grace can change your motives, what drives you. See, some of you are driven by money. You're, you're driven by more power. You're driven by pleasure. And Jesus wants to come along and say, he doesn't just want to fix it to where all of a sudden you're not involved in those activities. He wants to change something deeper in your heart. He wants to change what you value. He wants to change what motivates you. He wants to change that which is inside of you. And the law of Moses can't do that. It can just kind of tweak the exterior. It is the law of Christ, the law of grace, like the law of thermodynamics that allows you to soar holistically. To soar over temptation, to, to soar in a victorious Christian life. You see, my friends, I know no other way to triumph over sin long term. Now, you, you, could, you can triumph over it in a little way, and, and some of you have, by, by willpower, by self-discipline, by focusing on the rules, and, and I'm going to do this thing, and, and you can overcome sin for a little way, for a little time in that manner. But personally, I have found that there's no other way to triumph over sin and temptation long term than to gain a distaste for it because of a superior satisfaction in Jesus. That's what we need. 
You need to get to a place where you are enjoying Jesus and finding yourself satisfied with Jesus more than you're satisfied with this world. To where Jesus means more to you and you're experiencing him as more than you and you're enjoying him and you're absorbing his reality more deeply to where the things of this earth grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. That's, that is how we transcend temptation and sin. That is how we become victorious, not just in the exterior, but from our very heart. Why? Because Christ is better. And this is where the new covenant actually has an advantage over the old covenant. The old covenant could change the surface. But even in the Old Testament, they still had to go and do all the offerings and sacrifice everything because they realized the law couldn't do anything about that. And then Jesus came. And he heals the brokenhearted. He took out our heart of stone and replaced it with a heart of flesh. He gives us the Spirit of God with new motives and new identity and new values. And from that place, when we lean into that, we will find that the expressions of our life look like the expressions of Jesus. And that is why the new covenant is better at creating spiritual, expressional, functional maturity. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by the teaching and preaching ministry of the Ambassador Baptist Church. If this message was a blessing to you, please consider leaving us a review or sharing the message on social media. Thanks once again for tuning in.